The following message was recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead Pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Looking at uh, the flesh, and the flesh is strong, I think there's so many different areas we can look at when it comes to deliverance. The thing that we need to be most aware of is that we serve a God who is a deliverer. Somebody say amen. amen. Like he's interested in delivering you. Somebody say amen. amen. This isn't one of those things where you got to beg somebody to do something for you, right? Where we like, hey, can you help me move? Can I borrow a few bucks? Can we do this and the other? And you feel like you're begging. We're not begging God. It's what he already wants to do. So what we have to learn is what's preventing it from happening. If, if we want it and God wants to give it to us, what prevents it from being done? I think it's, it's very significant. As we looked at the slides, matter of fact, Raymond, can you put up maybe the first slide um, from, the, from the skit? Bound and condemned by sin. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What I believe is that we have to connect what God says about the area we need to be delivered from with what it is that we actually desire so that we can apply God's word through faith and see deliverance. For instance, you may realize that you're burdened. You may realize that it's you're tired of it. But if you don't understand that, that's the wages of sin. You are going to die. You are going to go to hell. You're going to have eternal death. If you don't know what God's word says about that area of bondage and imprisonment, how can you ask him? How can you come to him and say, Lord, give me the gift that you have of eternal life? What people end up doing is they say, well, I know I'm bound and I know that it's heavy and I know that I'm tired of it. So I'm going to try to do my best to be a person that God would love. That's not what my word says. He would say, he said, what my word says is it's a free gift. So if you spend all your energy trying to be lovable, you can do that your whole life and never receive the gift. In your area of bondage, in my area of bondage, I promise you God has a word for that prison. And that's the word we need to hear, that's the word we need to receive, and that's the word that we need to apply faith to in order to be delivered. Look at the next one. We'll, we'll just do two of them. Let's see. Bound and condemned by sin, bound by fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you have that fear come upon you, you are able to say, this is not of God. Because he didn't give me this spirit. He gave me a spirit of power. So where is that power? Well, maybe I'm disconnected from the source. Maybe he gave it to me and I never plugged it in. Maybe he gave it to me, but I never actually activated by worshiping when we are worshiping together as a community. A word never comes out of my mouth. Maybe he gave it to me, but I've acted like it's not a valuable gift. Many of us have had that happen to us before, right? You got a card and like you got a bunch of cards, you didn't open it, right? And then later on you go and open it like, man, there's a gift card in here. Like there was some ability, there was some power, there were some resources in there, but you never opened it, right? He didn't give us a spirit of fear. So if you are afraid, that is not from God. Amen. We've got to connect those dots. Psalm 68, verse 20 says, our God, say our God, our God. say my God. If you ever get close enough to me and sometimes other people when we're worshiping, we will just straight change the lyrics on a song. So when it says, you know, uh, our God is an awesome God. I'll be up here singing, my God is an awesome God. I don't know what you about you and your God and what y'all doing. But for me, my God is an awesome God. When it reads like this in Psalm 68, our God is the God of salvation. If you can't apply that to yourself, a lot of times when I'm taking notes, it's easy to take notes in a service and you write, you know, pastor said something like, 
we need to surrender to God. And in your notes, you'll say we need to surrender to God. What I would always do when I'd write that as a note, I'd cross out the, the we and I'd write I. It has to apply to me. Somebody say amen. Psalm 68, 20, our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. My God is the God of salvation, and to my God belong escapes from death. He always makes a way of escape. He will save you and take that sin and that death because he is the God of salvation. And then what Psalm 68 says is after that, to him belongs escapes from death. Fear will kill you. Comparison will kill you. The flesh will kill you. It'll kill the spirit. It'll kill your relationships. It'll kill everything. To him belong the escapes from death. This morning, the area of deliverance that we're going to look at, our focus, is deliverance from isolation. Say isolation. Say all by myself. Say just me. All right, I think we get it. <laughs> Deliverance from isolation. How many of you have come to know the spirit of isolation very well over the years? Right? You know that spirit that tells you don't go. You know that spirit that says stay mad. You know that spirit that says you're better off by yourself. You know that spirit that says, hey, when I get my stuff together, then I'll go back. You know that spirit that says they were, they were fake to begin with. Somebody say amen in this place. <laughs> The spirit of isolation, we know him. That is the homie. We've been so tight before, right? And then not only does it have to be in the big significant areas, you know, you know who isolation's really good friend is? The spirit of fatigue. You know how when you're tired, you're like, I just don't have the energy to go. I just don't have the money to go. Yesterday, we were supposed to meet up some families and go to the beach. And the spirit of isolation, I was like, nah, you ain't going to win. I'm going to the beach. Brothers don't really like the beach that much. You know, so I didn't really want to go, but I didn't want to be isolated either. So I said, no, spirit of isolation. You're not going to rule me and reign me. I'm going to go beat up and go to the beach. And then spirit of isolation has been his homie, the spirit of fatigue. And I took a long nap and almost missed the beach. But we don't realize when we think that we're getting like rest, right? And at the same time, we are isolating ourselves because we need that rest. You know, we went, I was a little bit tired when we went, but man, the fellowship and the talk and the community and all those things that took place, it was well worth overcoming the spirit of isolation and the spirit of fatigue. Psalm 68, verse 5, same psalm, says this. A father, speaking of God, it says, A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. What a verse. <laughs> He's a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. In the New Testament, Jesus says true and undefiled, pure and undefiled religion is to care for the fatherless, the orphans and widows. In the Psalms in the Old Testament says the same thing. Why? Because they are losing their community. They are losing their family and they're becoming isolated. I know several women who are widows right now, and they're older, and they are literally isolated by themselves 24 hours a day. I went to see a lady and pray with her um, this week. I think it was Tuesday, Thursday. And, 
you know, as we talked, I went into her house and it was, you know, we talked and she said, man, I just feel alone. I feel sad. And she said, I feel like there is a spirit here attacking me. She said earlier this week, I was up 24 hours. I couldn't go to sleep because every time I tried to sleep, I felt like I was under attack. It says this about our God, a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is, is our God in his holy habitation. He sets the solitary in families. He says, you will no longer be isolated. You will have a family. You will no longer be alone. You will be part of community. And then it says he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. The whole idea of, of deliverance is you are bound. If you don't see the shackles and the chains, believe me, they're there. If you can't see the prison, believe me, it's there. You are bound. You are in prison. He says, I'll bring you out and into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. We are in rebellion when we deny community. We are in rebellion when we say we don't need the family. We are in rebellion when we say we will just allow this spirit to remain in our house. When we know that God says that he is our defender and he will not allow those things to happen. When we pray, we prayed over her, we prayed over the house. And I reminded her, I said, you know, the same thing kind of happens with Mary and I sometimes where we just feel like something ain't right in the house. We don't wait to see how bad it's going to get. We just stop right there and say, Lord, if anything has come in that don't belong here, you rebuke it in your holy name. This house belongs to you. This is your, this is your sanctuary. I should be able to come in here and kick my feet off and say, you know what, I'm protected in this place. It belongs to God. When we don't do that, the enemy's just waiting for us to get tired and waiting for us to get isolated, and he creeps on into places he doesn't belong. Isolation allows for that. God's plan for our lives is literally the opposite of isolation. We serve a God who is a trinity. That means he's always in a group. Somebody say amen. amen. Think about that. Our God is a trinity, which means he's always in a group. When we come to know Jesus, he says, I'll fill you with my spirit. The, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not separated. So when he says, I'll fill you with my spirit, all of God comes to you, which means you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit along with yourself, which means no matter where you are, when it is, it doesn't matter. You are a fearsome foursome at all times. You're never isolated. You're never alone unless you deny him or pretend as if he doesn't exist. You ever been sitting with somebody and you're mad so you act like they ain't there? You'd be in the car with your wife for like a two-hour drive and you didn't say a single word and she didn't say a word to you. You know that's how it is with the Lord sometimes? We isolate ourselves in the middle of like a car. You're on that side. I know you're there. I know that you filled me, but I'm going to pretend as if you do not exist. A Christian is a fearsome foursome at all times. Amen. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He says, this community, this thing called church, do not forsake it. It's for your benefit. It's for your blessing. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This community, this church is something I have ordained. It's a gift that I've given you. Why would you deny it? Why would you leave it unopened? Why would you let other people enjoy it and you will not enjoy it? He didn't say it's always going to be fun and you're always going to like everybody, but he says this is a gift that you need. Most of us get to a point where we don't like our parents very much or we feel like they're too strict or we feel like, man, life would be better without them. But we come real quick to find out that that's not the truth. And then once you get onto your own and you have kids of your own, you're so grateful for the family and the parents that you did have, even if they screwed some things up. It's like that as a Christian. We don't understand the value sometimes until we don't have it, until we don't have the community, we don't have the blessings, we don't have the relationship. We're not meant to live in isolation. When people say, I don't need a church, when people say, 
uh, I'm religious or I have spirituality and I do my own thing with God and, and I'm over the church, I don't need a church. Let me tell you again, that is a lie from hell. It's not true. It's just not true. I don't say that because I'm a pastor. I don't say that because I lead a church and I want you guys all to be here. I say it because I know the truth and I know lies. The church is his body. It is his bride. It's something we're supposed to nurture, take care of, and be a part of it growing and increasing and being healthier and more loving and reaching further out. And it does something in turn for us as well, that God blesses through the church. I think a lot of us have been in seasons where we've said that, I don't need the church. I already got God. I got a Bible at home. I can do that. That's just not the reality. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together because there are blessings that can only be received when we're together. In a family, it takes us out of isolation and places us into families. And this is the family you got. If the way is your church, this is your family. You don't get to upgrade. You don't get to say, you know what? I'm putting myself up for adoption. Anybody who would have me, I'm looking for a nice family that's got a few things that can really appreciate me for who I am. We don't get to do that. This is the family you got. This is the family you got stuck with. God knows what he's doing. Amen? <laughs> it's sad, you know, I make that joke, but in reality, isn't that what so many people do? We get divorced. Oh, no, no, this ain't the family for me anymore. You ain't the woman for me anymore. You ain't the man for me anymore. I don't need to be here for these kids anymore. Somebody else will take care of them. And we do the same thing in our relationship with God. And what God says is, once you come to me and you lay that sin down, I'm going to deliver you from every other area of bondage, every way of, of sideways and perverse and crooked thinking, every behavior that does not honor me. If you allow me to, I will deliver you from that and I'll make you that father. I'll make you that husband. I'll, wake, I'll make you that wife. I'll make you that mother. I'll make you that child. I'll make you whatever it is that I'm trying to create you to be. The Bible says what? We are being transformed into what? The image of Christ. That's what he says. From the time you give your life to him to the time that you ultimately go on into heaven and that process continues, your Christianity is about being transformed into the image of Christ. And he is the most faithful. He is the most loving. He never abandoned. He could have definitely chose some better family than us. <laughs> At least we would think so. But he chose you and he chose me. We're not accidents. We didn't get dropped off at his doorstep. He's like, oh, look at this ugly baby I got to take care of. No, he chose us. He chose us. Let's keep going before I get myself in trouble. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, come on now. When you started singing that this morning, I was so glad to be in the sanctuary to be able to worship. I have a little bit of insight on the message because I already know what the message is. But when that, when that worship song came on and we started singing that he'd leave the 99, listen to this. The Lord says, Jesus, say Jesus. Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. Man, if we were at the, the, the basketball game, like Kobe, <laughs> Kobe, say Jesus, 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 say Jesus. Jesus. That's better. Good Lord. Act like he died for your sins or something. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, right? He's doing all the work. Amen. You ain't doing anything. I'm not doing anything. He lays us on his shoulders rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, because there's a home to go to, there's a family to go to, this sheep is not supposed to be isolated. They're supposed to be part of the family. When he comes home, he calls together all his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He leaves the 99 and he goes searching for you and he goes searching for me until he finds us. He doesn't care if we're running. He doesn't care if we try to juke him when he gets close. He's going to keep pursuing us. He'll leave the 99. You know what? Sometimes when you feel like, man, I don't feel close to God or I don't feel like I'm getting blessed and I don't feel like, you know, I'm watching other people, things are happening in their life. You know what? Maybe he says you're strong enough for now. You be one of the 99 that stays here. Don't worry, you'll be okay. I got to go get this one who is straying and bring them back to the family. What you need to do is prepare yourself to be part of this party when they get here. Amen. Comes after us. Here's the reality. You and I are either going to be a host for the enemy and his demons, or we are going to be carriers of the Spirit of God. Right? We're either going to be a host... For the enemy, he's going to say, oh, look, there's an isolated one. There's one who doesn't know the family. There's one who's not close to their savior. Let's go get him. Let's go get her. And that makes us a host. That makes us a, a welcoming party for the enemy and his attacks. Or we're going to be part of the community. We will not be isolated. People will have eyes on us and we'll be able to cry out to others for help and strength when we need it. And we can be carriers of the spirit of God. In our skit, I thought it was probably one of the coolest parts of the skit, is how each person who was delivered became part of or an important part of the next person's deliverance, right? They become a support for the next person. So Isaiah has all this sin and all these things going on. God delivers him. He doesn't just leave him there isolated. He comes with me who knows the Lord. We have the Lord with us, before us and behind us. And then Isaiah comes with us and we go to Elisha and we say, look, are you ready? Do you want to be delivered? Are you tired of the spirit of fear? Right. And then there's a community. So when she says, yes, maybe I'm off somewhere, but Isaiah's there. The Lord is always with her. And then we go to the next person and there's a community that comes to help and support the next person that's being delivered. Or you can be isolated and be a host for the enemy and say, let's go get that one. I don't want the one where they've got three, four five people around them. I don't want the one that's there every Wednesday and every Sunday. I don't want the one that's got people praying for them. I don't want the one that's got people showing up to the house to make sure that they're OK. I don't want the one that's going through counseling. Why would I do that? Why would I fight so hard to get into that person's life and situation when there's one out there by themselves, isolated and scared? Isolation and disconnection is always accompanied by attack. Isolation and disconnection is always accompanied by attack. Community, the church, family, fellowship, right? is accompanied by strength and support. Isolation is accompanied by attack. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. 
He would gladly have filled his own stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. See, he had a family. He had resources. He had blessings from a good father who had planned to bless him. And what he decided to do was isolate himself. I'm going to take what I got, good, bad, or ugly, and I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to go do my own thing. Isolation and disconnection is always accompanied by attack. At some point, his finances were attacked and they were gone. At another point, he was hungry, he was cold, he was frustrated, and he said, I'll reach out to anybody who's close, but he reached out to a demon. He reaches out to somebody who says, look, I'll take your destitute state, I'll take your lack of having anything, and instead of helping you, encouraging you, uh, building you up, and sending you back out, better off, nah, you're going to be a slave to me now. You're going to go feed these pigs. Go play with the pigs for me. I ain't going to do that because I'm too good for that. You go play with my pigs. You see this attack that is coming on him? And it says that eventually at some point he came to himself, which means what we all have to do is come to ourselves, stop in our tracks, look at what's happening to us and say, what is happening to me? Why am I allowing this to happen? But he did it in a sense of humility. He says, you know what? My father has slaves that eat better than me. I don't deserve to go back there and be at the top. I don't deserve to go back there and get everything that I had. But I do want to go back home and just go back to my community, go back to my family, go back to my father's house. So he goes. But on his way, it says, his father sees him and his father runs to him because our Lord is running to us. He's been looking for you. He's been looking for me. And when he gets there, his father says, no, there's no punishment. We love you. We missed you. You were dead to us and now you're alive to us. You were lost, but now you're found. The best that we have, it belongs to you. These were your gifts to begin with. You should have never left the family. You wasted it with prodigal living, but guess what? I have another blessing around the corner for you. Amen. All those other attacks came from the first decision to be isolated. When you look at a lot of stuff that's going on in your life, and when I look at a lot of stuff that, that is going on in my life, you know, we look at it and say, man, this area sucks, and this feeling sucks, and this situation or circumstance is terrible. But you know what? If you backtrack, it's like, well, how long have you been isolated? How long have you not talked to anybody of faith about this situation? When's the last time you worshiped God? We know you're not in the community, so literally, when's the last time you were in your car or in your home and you put on some worship music and said, I'm going to worship you, Lord, for who you are? When's the last time you got into your word and said, it doesn't matter my situations or circumstances because I have you? It's the isolation and separation from God 
and his community, his body, his bride, that manifests itself in some of those other difficulties we have very, very often. The reason why we have isolation at the end of our series is because as I thought about it, as I prayed about it, you just look at it and you can see all those other areas, they start with isolation. Come around the body and talk about wanting to do something like, like Alicia did when she was coming down. I want to go to photography school. The spirit of fear is like, you can't do it. You don't have a camera. What makes you think you're smart enough? Come around the body of Christ and say you want to do something. And you tell me if people don't say, you can do it. How can I help you? I got an extra camera. I heard about this JC that offers a class for $22. Why don't you go take it? It's the opposite in the kingdom of God. Many of us are cold, hungry, naked, and confused and trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And it's just the fact that we're isolated. I was telling some people, stop sitting in the back. That's like one step before isolation. Get to the front. Get in the middle of some people. Elbow some people. Smell each other. Like, look, I'm a sheep too. You stink too. Who cares? Isn't that how it usually works so honestly? When you sit in the back, that's for a quick escape. And the enemy, the same thing. He's not going to come all the way to the middle and get one of those sheep. He's going to be like, wait, wait till that one gets about five feet from everybody else. The one in the back? Yeah, you know the one in the back. As soon as they stop to tie their shoe, whoa, the enemy's on them. In marriage, look what God says about isolation and disconnection. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4, Paul says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. I heard a cough, right? <laughs> the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It ain't yours, it's his. It ain't his, it's hers. And do not separate, do not isolate, do not disconnect from each other. And if you decide to, it better be some, for some prayer and some fasting, and it better not be for a long time. You know why? Because isolation, separation, disconnection creates an opportunity for the enemy to come in and tempt. The enemy to come in and bind. The enemy to come in and destroy. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's again talking about relationships, roles between men and women. And at the end, he says in Ephesians 5.32, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he's saying there's definitely this physical part of it. Yeah, your body belongs to your husband. Your body belongs to your wife. There's a physical part of that that he's saying you need intimacy. You need to be together. You need to be united. Do not be isolated. Do not be disconnected from each other. But in Ephesians and talking about marriage again, he says, listen, I'm not just talking about a man and a woman and being physically close to one another. I'm talking about your relationship with God. Do not get isolated. Do not get far from me. If you do in a marriage, there's going to be a repercussion because the enemy is going to come in and cause that isolation to become division. And it's going to lead to sin. If you do that in your relationship with God, the same thing will happen, but it will not just be between you and a man and a woman and your marriage. It'll be in every single area of your life, right? When you get isolated from God, it doesn't just affect one area. It affects every area of your life. What I want to do as we finish up this morning, the last thing I want to do, I want to read you two stories. One is going to be looking at a story about isolation, and the other is a story about community. Isolation, 
Lone Ranger, all by yourself. Let's see how it works out. Us four, no more. Me and my family, we're going to do our own thing. All right? Versus community. You know, I love the video. Um, just look up on YouTube. Look up uh, effects of isolation. And a lot of things will come up. A lot of things about um, solitary confinement and whatnot. And it talked about what happens when you're in that state, what it does to your mind, what it does to your relationship. It says even when they come out of that, they cannot socialize even if they wanted to. Many of us have experienced, I know a lot of people who have, who have left the church, not just this church, any church, and even though they want to come back, it's, it's hard sometimes because those skills, those social skills have, have begun to deteriorate and there's that fear of, well, what's it going to be like when I get back? All that kind of stuff. It's the same thing with solitary confinement. They don't just get put back into general population because it's hard for them to communicate, hard to them to navigate what that's like. So a story about isolation, a story about community. The first for, uh, for isolation. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, he's doing his thing. He's teaching, he's leading, he's discipling. It says he came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. That's through verse four. So what we know about this man, Jesus comes into the city across, uh, across the sea he gets there and immediately this man meets him. It says that he made his dwelling among the tombs. What that means is he lives in a cemetery with dead people. A Christian who is not in the church means you are in the cemetery with dead people. That's not being mean because I used to be one of those dead people. And you used to be one of those dead people. It's just the reality. Sometimes the truth hurts, but the Bible says the truth shall set you free. Somebody say amen. It's simple. If you are in the church, you are with people who are alive and you take that life to a dying world and you tell them, come out of darkness and into the light. Come out of death and into life. But if you are a Christian who does not be, uh, become part of the body, part of the community, part of the church, you're living in a cemetery out there with dead people. That's the state of this person. So listen to what it says. It says that the, the people, the other dead people in the community tried to bind him, and he broke free. Well, are we talking about deliverance? Isn't that what we want? We want to come off of the shackles. We want to be broken free. It says he was so strong that any time they tried to shackle him, he would break free. See, he was breaking free of the physical bondage he was in, but he was bound in his spirit. A lot of times when we're isolated, listen to me, church, what happens is we think that we set ourselves free. I ain't going to that church. I ain't going around those people. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm free. I'll make my own decision. I don't need nobody telling me what to do. I don't need a pastor trying to disciple me. I don't need somebody telling me that I need to get my, my relationship right. I don't need nobody telling me that I should treat my husband a little bit different. Or I should treat my wife a little bit different. Or that I need to get a job. I don't need none of that. I'm my own person. I'm a grown person. I'll do what I want to do. And we think that we're free. But all we've done is we've got a little bit of physical freedom to make our own decision. But we are bound in the spirit. That's the case that this man is in. He's living with dead people. Nobody can physically bind him and control him. He does what he wants to do, but he is bound in the spiritual realm. It says the shackles when they put on were broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. Verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. We're only hurting ourselves when we're isolated. When he saw Jesus from afar, 
he ran and worshipped him and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Listen to what's happening. This man is possessed. The spirit in this man that's possessing him sees Jesus, knows exactly who he is, comes running to him and worships him. You are God. You are son of the most high. Why are you here? Don't torment me. By God the Father, do not torment me. It's not the man, you or me talking. It's the spirit in the man that is binding him. Remember, he's broken free physically of the shackles, but there's a spirit inside of him that is controlling him. That spirit comes to Jesus and knows who he is. You know what the Bible says? It says that the devil and the demons know who Jesus is. And sometimes the church don't know who he is. They know. They know that when you see him, you bow down. They know that when you see him, you worship. Yet we come in and don't sing and don't raise our hands and don't ask him to clean our hearts. But demons will. They worship because they know who he is and they understand. You know why? The demons are the one third of the angels that got sent down with Satan, which means for all of eternity until the day that they got cast down with Satan, they worshiped and they saw him in his glory. Once you've seen him in his glory, how can you not worship? Jesus says to the spirit, he said to him in verse eight, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. He's talking to the spirit and the man says, what is your name? My name is Legion because we're many. We're filling this man. There's a grip of us. Look up Legion in Google and it'll tell you about how many, anywhere from like a thousand to 40,000 soldiers in a Roman army. See what isolation will do? He says, we're Legion. There's many of us in here. That's why he breaks chains in the physical. That's why nobody wants to be around him in the physical. That's why he lives with the dead, with those that we've already killed and put in the ground. Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. So the demon's now saying to Jesus, listen, we know you're going to do something, but let us stay here. We love this place. We love these people. Don't send us out of this country. This is a demon having a conversation with Jesus. And all the while, while this is happening, remember that there's a man who's bound, a man who needs to be delivered. A large herd of pigs, swine, was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons, all the demons, so now they're all talking to Jesus. They begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. The pigs were so unbelievably tormented by the demons that came into them that they ran into the water and drowned themselves. Yeah, we just let them chill. We just let them pull us around wherever they want to take us. We just let them whisper into our ear like it's not a big deal. We just let them tell us, compare yourself to that person. They drowned themselves in the sea. So those who fed the swine, they fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened, right? 
So Jesus meets this man. He's demon-possessed with 2,000 demons in him. He sends the demons out of the man into the pigs. The pigs run and drown themselves. And then the people who are responsible for tending to the pigs, they see it. They run to the city. They run to the country. They tell everybody. And now the whole community, this whole city and country is coming up to see Jesus, see what happened up here. They went out to see what it was that had happened in verse 15. Then they came to Jesus, saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had de been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. They come running out to the city. This man that had been a terror that they couldn't bind, that physically broke chains, who lived in the cemetery, all of a sudden he's sitting there, and he's just a good Christian. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's talking to Jesus. And they're like, what happened? And it says that they all got afraid. Who is this that could come into this town and do this to this man's life? When we haven't been able to do anything with this man's life, and in one day, we don't even know you, you came and you were able to do this to him. And they were afraid. And here's the thing, though. They asked him to leave. You know why? Because they're dead people. He lived in the cemetery, and he lived in a city of dead people. Thinking to themselves, well, if he did that to him, what might he do to me? What might he take from me? He already ruined all of our economy. He sent all of our, all of our pigs that we use to make money, he sent them into the ocean and they all died. So what else is he going to take from us? They ask him to leave, because if you don't want Jesus, believe me, he'll keep, he'll keep making himself available to you, but he'll go spend time with people who do want him. When you leave the church, God's still there. People are still getting ministered to. People are still getting healed. He's waiting for you. He wants to do that with you. But if you isolate yourself, there's only so much he can do. So here's Jesus with this man. It says that he's rejoicing. He was lost, but now he's found. He was filled with death and living and surrounded by death, but now he knows the Son of God. And he says, I want to be with you. I want community. Wherever you go, that's where I want to go. That's where we find ourselves when we're isolated, and that's where we find ourselves if we do not surrender to Jesus and we do not let him deliver us. Many of us, we don't feel that way. And again, I'm not telling you, if you're a Christian, I don't believe, if you're a real Christian, it's, it's hard to say. <coughs> if you're a real Christian, you can't be demon-possessed because God lives in there. However, I also believe if you're a real Christian, you're going to be drawn to his body. How can you love Christ and not love his bride? When we, when we marry people, when we talk about marriage, one of the things I say every time I marry somebody, I talk to the family and I say, look, I see you separated. You guys are on the his side. You guys are on the her side. But from the time you walk out of here, there's no more his and her side. If you don't love her, then don't even come around because they're one now. You cannot love him without loving her and vice versa. If you don't love him, don't even come around because all you're going to do is hurt the family. You cannot love her without loving him. They are now one and they need your love for, for both of them. So you tell me how you can fall in love with Jesus and not love his bride. As jacked up as she might be, as unfaithful as we might be, as wishy-washy as we might be, we're still his bride. So don't tell me you love him, but you don't love his bride. 
but isolation will lead us there. If we love him and we're isolated and we're not filled with spirits, we're definitely under attack in our isolation. So we'll close with this, a story about community and not being isolated when it comes to deliverance. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Listen to that. Jesus is a busy man. Somebody say amen. amen. He's healing demon-possessed. He's back and forth on different sides of the sea. He's walking on the water and discipling people, right? He's healing. He's doing all these things. He's teaching in the temples and in the, in the churches and in the houses. It's amazing what he's doing. But I love this. He's in the church. Everybody's there. It says that he's teaching, but this is what, I think this might be the only place it says this in the scriptures. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. You know that when you come into to the place where the Lord is, his power is there present to heal? You know when we, when we do a skit and then we, 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 we hear the word go forth like, look, do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be healed? Would you come and pray for it? That ain't man's words of let's just, let's just do something for the sake of doing it. His power is present to heal. You could sit there and not be healed, or the action of getting up and walking, it's not because I walked 10 feet to the stage, it's because what my soul said was, I've gotta go to him. I gotta stop carrying this. I've gotta go tap into his healing power. Read the scripture where it says, a man with 38 years of an infirmity laid outside a pool, the angel would stir the waters, which means the power was present to heal, and he could never get in. Other people got in and they kept getting healed. Other people keep coming to the altar and they keep getting healed and you keep sitting in your seat. Then he says, Jesus walks up to me and he asks him a simple question. Hey, man, you want to be healed? Well, what do you think, Jesus? I'm laying here. Well, I'm Jesus, so I know. There's a lot of people who lay around the church that don't want to be healed. There's a lot of people that just want to be close to what's going on. But in reality, they're asking me to leave the community because they saw what I did to somebody else and they don't really want it to happen to them. Heal me, but let me keep the music. Heal me, but let me keep getting loaded. Heal me, but let me keep having sex. Heal me and forgive me for my sin, but let me keep doing all these things. No, you don't really want it. Do you want to be healed or not? Because you're laying there like you do, but I know your heart, he would say. Then the man knew he had encountered Jesus. He said, yeah, I do want to be healed. And he said, all right, you're healed. You don't even have to get in the water. You know why? Because I'm here and my power is present to heal. Be healed. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Verse 18. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst right before Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, say faith, Faith. say faith. faith. He said to him, the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or for me to say, Rise up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise. Take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them 
took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. His power is present to heal. There's people who maybe want it, people who don't, right? Because the Pharisees are there. And all they're doing is getting in the way. Please get this this morning. The house is so full that people that want healing cannot get in because the people who are already in are just taking up space because they don't want healing. There's Pharisees and Sadducees in there listening to Jesus, but not believing in his power and not wanting to get healed. So what does it take for a man who does want healing? It takes a community. He has friends. He has brothers in Christ that say, you can be healed. You can be forgiven. They rip the roof off and say, you're going. You're going to church. I don't care that you don't want to go. I don't care that you don't have a car. I don't care that you don't have money. You're going with us. And God's going to do something in your life. They rip off the roof. They drop him in. He says, when he sees their faith, please believe me, we cannot get other people saved. They have to allow themselves to be saved. But there was something about the faith of the community that Jesus was drawn to and that he loved. And there was also something about a man. You cannot be saved without wanting to be saved and saying, God, save me, forgive me for my sins. So even though Jesus looks at him and says, man, your faith has made you well, you're forgiven of your sins, it's impossible. He had to ask for that forgiveness as well. And maybe it had something to do with the faith of his friends and the testimony of his friends and the willingness of his friends to bring him that led him to be open. I talked to these individuals who were up here. I talked to them once. I talked to them twice. I told them that we had been talking for a long time. You never know when the day is going to be. But at some point, they were ready, and Jesus was there ready for them. Amen. Forgives them. And listen to this. He says, it ain't even about anything that's going on in the physical. Your deliverance isn't really about the physical. Your deliverance is about your spirit. Jesus says you're forgiven of your sins. You came in here like Isaiah with all these boxes of sin. They dropped you down on your bed. You are forgiven of those sins. They come crashing to the floor. And he's like, that's it. But the haters who don't know him, who are just filling the church up, are like, who are you? Do you think you're God? And he's like, yes. Yes, I am God. And listen to what he said. So that you would know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I'm going to heal this man of his physical ailment. Think about that for a second. Could it be that a lot of the things that are good in our lives physically, the healing we've had, the blessings we've had, cars we have, houses we have, jobs that we have, could it be that, that, that God is just using that to show other people that when we say that we've been forgiven of our sins, that that's true, that that's something that God did. It's not, God's goal is not to make our lives so much better in the physical. Isn't it funny that Jesus was going to heal this man, forgive, forgive this man of his sins, and he was going to leave him paralyzed? But we think that if we have some kind of difficulty in our life, Jesus must not love us. Jesus was not going to heal him. He was going to leave him paralyzed. The only reason he healed him is because he wanted these other people to see that when I say you're forgiven of your sins, I have authority and power. I'm God. I can heal. It. Thank you for listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.